1 John chapter 3, 4 through 10, Christmas in 1 John. And by the way, isn't it cool that uh, we started this series months ago and we happened to land on the Christmas passage today. All right, so this is cool. I have a feeling you, well, I'm going to read this and you're going to be like, I don't see the Christmas. But you're going to by the end, okay? So get ready for that. Here we go. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Father, I thank you for this passage of Scripture, and I pray that you would lead us through it, God. Take our hand, uh, Lord, speak in our ear. Give us sight to see. Uh, give our hearts a willingness to obey and to surrender and to yield and to say yes to you today. Father, we ask that you'd work in us. Lord, may the power of your Spirit uh, bring about a transformation in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so when we talk about Christmas in 1 John, I think when you talk about a Christmas sermon, most of the time we think of what? We think of what we think of when we think of Christmas. I bet most all of you have a nativity set at home in which you have a barn setting. Uh, you probably have a star. You probably got some uh, shepherds and some sheep and some angels and some wise men and some gold, frankincense, myrrh. You got a Joseph and a Mary and a manger. And the star of the show, you've got a baby Jesus, okay? And that's normally what we think of, and rightly so. That is, to some degree, the Christmas story, the physical Christmas story. In fact, uh, you probably, if you've been to a Christmas program, you saw that reenacted probably this year. I just went to a Christmas program this week, and, and uh, one of my kids was Mary, and one of my kids was a sheep. And Emma made her cute little sheep ears and little sheep headband. So uh, I was thinking back through that, and, and with my five kids, I think we have been everything at least twice, except Joseph. I was trying to think. I asked him in the last service. She couldn't remember. I don't think anybody's ever been Joseph. Of course, we only have one son, um, but he missed out on that. But, you know, we've been angels. We've been sheep. We've been barnyard animals. We've been Mary, uh, Mary several times. Uh, Haddon was baby Jesus and uh, two from Galilee, uh, the community production, production right after he was born. So I think we've been everything but Joseph. So that's normally the Christmas story that you think about, okay? Well, what I want to show you here in First John is that we really have the nativity scene in First John, uh, but it's the spiritual one and not the physical one, okay? Now you're, you're asking, I, I, let's, just, let's just get it out there. Where is Christmas in the passage we just read? Well, it is in the word appearing, okay? Now, this is not a strange word to you because we looked at it last week. Uh, if you go up uh, just a couple verses uh, to last week's passage, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. Okay? Now, what is that saying? That's saying that there's going to be a revealing 
of the sons of God, right? I mean, that's coming, right? When Jesus comes back, there's going to be a revealing. There's going to be a a, a making. No, there's going to be an unwrapping of the children of God. And man, is that going to be great. We're not sure all that that's going to look like, but we cannot wait to see what God's going to do with Ed Evans. Man, when he comes back and God's going to open open up his glory and Ed's going to be transformed and he's going to... He's going to be unwrapped, okay? And a glorious Ed is going to come forth, and we're all going to clap, and we're going to say, yes, we've been waiting for this, and all of us, I'm not just picking on Ed, all of us, we, that, if you're a believer, that's what's going to happen, okay? And, and, and so we get this word again, okay, ready? Keep going, verse 2. But we know that when he, when Jesus appears, this was all last week, we should be like him because we're going to see him as he is. And so what's that talking about? That's talking about the second coming, right? When, when right now we know Christ is in heaven, we know he's at the right hand of God, but soon what's going to happen? Heaven's going to open up, right? And heaven's going to open up and we're going to see Jesus coming on a white horse. I mean, we're going to see him. He's going to be unwrapped and we're going to see all of his glory. Now, in our passage today, it says, verse 5, you know that he appeared. Past tense. When is that? Christmas. Right? That's his first coming. That's, that's, that's Mary and Joseph and Bethlehem and the manger and, and the baby Jesus. Okay? It says, when he appeared, we know that he appeared to take away sins. Go to verse uh, 8. Whoever makes practice sins of the devil, for the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared. Okay, the re- have you ever heard the reason for the season? You need to take him to 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Here's the reason for the season, okay? The reason the Son of God appeared. What does that mean? That means God stepped out of the heavens into human flesh and we saw him, right? We saw him. He was made one of us. God put on human flesh. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, Right? Born in a manger, in a state, all of that. But we saw, we saw the glory of Jesus Christ. So that word appearing is talking about Christmas. It's talking about Jesus coming to earth as a man. Okay? And, and that word's a cool word. In fact, what I would encourage you to do if you have kids, have a little spiritual devotion about Christmas and use that in the, for the presents, you know? I mean, what do you, when you have a present, what do you got? You got something that you know is good, right? You know it's good. It's been given by someone who loves you. It's been given as a gift, right? But you don't know exactly what's in there, and you shake it, and you think you got an idea and everything, right? But what happens with the unwrapping? Man, with the unwrapping, you're, wow, we see it for now. We, we, we know what it is. I, I know it's been given, all right? For thousands of years, we knew Messiah was coming. The prophets spoke of it. The Word of God said it. We knew Christ was coming, but we didn't know exactly what it was going to look like. We knew there was a Messiah, a deliverer, a Christ. But with Bethlehem, what happened? God unwrapped it and said, here's the Savior. Okay? You need to go over that with your kids this Christmas. Do not do it, though. Don't do it right before the open presents. That's a classic mistake that parents make. You know, they want to make Christmas spiritual. And so like, all right, guys, it's time to open presents, you know. And everybody gathers around the tree and, and all the kids are there. And they're like, all right, now let's talk about Jesus. Okay, let me just give you a clue. Your eight-year-old boy, his mind is running at 4,500 RPM, okay? It's nothing but sheer will to hold that dude back. He is not listening, okay? He's just... He's ready to tear. So, so do it today. Like talk about it over lunch. You know, talk about how, how Christ, you know, God gave his gift and, and he, he appeared in Bethlehem. You know, God made man. We saw the life of Jesus. Jesus lived it out. He lived out who God is. We saw the glory of God 
in ways that we'd never seen it in the person of Jesus Christ. He showed us in the clearest possible way who God is, what he's like, all of that. Okay, So what we have here is a very Christmassy passage because two times it's talking about the coming of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem. So here's what I propose. I propose that next year, Lincoln Avenue, we be groundbreaking, okay? Everybody does the Bethlehem thing. Everybody does the sheep thing. Everybody does the the manger and the Mary and the Joseph. Let's do a spiritual nativity with our kids, okay? A spiritual nativity. Let's do the first John. Let's do this passage here. The reason God came. Why did he come? So let me tell you what we're going to need. Some of you ladies that do this sort of thing, you'd be taking notes, okay? Here's what we're going to need. We're going to need some of our little, little kids to be sinful, lawless humanity, okay? We're going to need some of our kids to come and be little sinners, okay? Now, this is not hard. This is not hard at all. I've got kids picked out already. I th- we've got folks that can nail it, okay? All right? So, so look at verse 4. Here they are, okay? Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. John is building up why Jesus had to come. Why Jesus have to come? Because we're sinners. Not only are we sinners, we're lawbreakers. Why, why does he add that little thing in there? I, I think John is trying to show us. He's trying to explain to us what's the nature of sin. The nature of sin is that we're lawbreakers. You know what? If you are lawless in our society... That's a bad thing, isn't it? What, what are our laws, you know? Don't kill, don't steal, don't loot, don't rape, don't pillage, don't vandalize, don't, you know, assault, don't all those things. What, what's a lawless person? A lawless person is that someone who has no regard for the law. They've got no regard for any of that, and they're going to say, I, there's no authority over me. No, no, no law is going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. And John says, that's who we are. We are sinners, and we are lawless. God has a law, God's law. And we've all, every one of us in our sin, we've said, God, I don't care about your law. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's humanity. So we're going to need some little sinful, lawless humanity. I think we've got that, okay? Next, what are we going to need for our spiritual nativity? We're going to need a devil, okay? Uh, This will be a little bit harder to pull off, but I think I know some little kid's going to be excited. He's going to come home and tell his mom, Mom, I get to be the devil in the Christmas nativity. Verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The reason for Christmas was to destroy the works of the devil. That's, that's what the Bible says. That's why Jesus came, to destroy the works of the devil. Okay, In John's mind, there is a very real devil, and, and in our mind, there should be as well. The Bible supports that very clearly. And, and you know, Isn't it interesting that the devil has the very opposite role that God does? Okay, What's God doing in Bethlehem? God's showing us, right? He's saying, this is who my son is. This is who I am. This is my glory. This this is my salvation. This is my plan. This is my redemption. God's revealing. God's opening up. God's showing us. What's the devil do? Consistently, the role of the devil is to blind you, to keep you from seeing. Remember the parable of the soils, Luke 8, Matthew 13? I think it's Luke 8, 12 that talks about uh, um, the seed that's thrown on the hard ground. Did you know that there's times where the word of God goes out and it never even sinks into a heart because the Bible says the devil steals it away? Distraction. Lies. Someone hears the word. Bam, it just meets nothing. It's taken away. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. 
The devil blinds minds to keep people from seeing Jesus' glory. The devil's the anti-Christmas, okay? I mean, you got, you got God revealing his son. You've got God showing us his glory. You've got God showing us his plan. And you've got the devil blinding people's minds so they cannot see the glory of God. Okay? Finally, um, there's not a lot of variety in participants here. You've got lawless humanity. You've got uh, the devil. And then I guess we could sort of make this a different category, but you've got children of the devil, Okay? Which I'm not worse. You know, I don't know which is worse. If, if your kid comes home and says, I'm going to be the devil in the Christmas nativity or I'm going to be the children of the devil. You know, either one's kind of bad. The one sounds like a horror film almost, you know. <laughs> Verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil, okay? Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but the Bible depicts those who, who live in sin, those who live a, a habitual lifestyle of sin, separated from God and separated from Christ, they are of their Father. They are connected in some spiritual way to the wicked one. So, in the spiritual nativity, the purpose of Christ's coming is very clearly two things, okay? Number one is in verse 5. He appeared, why? To take away sins, all right? So number one, Jesus appeared to take away sins. Number two, Okay, verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared is to destroy the works of the devil. Okay, everybody got that? Two things. Number one, why did Jesus come? Why Bethlehem? Why did God become man? Number one, to take away sin. Number two, to destroy the works of the devil. Let's, let's look at the first one real briefly, and then we're going to spend most of our time looking at the second one. I'm going to tell you at the end of the sermon why we're doing that. It's John actually does it, but I'm going to tell you why John's doing that, okay? It's not that one is more important than the other, not at all. He has a particular purpose for emphasizing what he does, okay? So the first thing, why, why did Jesus come? Why Bethlehem? Number one, to take away sins, okay, to take away sins. This is consistent with what John's already taught us. In 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, okay, take away, forgive us our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now look at chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Why did Jesus come? He came to be our advocate. He came to be our defense attorney. He came to be the one who would stand in our place before God the Father, offering his righteous life and his substitutionary death on our behalf for us. Okay, that's why he came. And in doing so, we might have our sins taken away. We might have the stain of sin taken away. There's no other way other than Jesus' righteous life and his sacrificial death to take away the stain of sin. In Jeremiah 2.22, it says, Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me. Okay, you know what the Bible's saying there? You can clean yourself up all you want, but without the work of Jesus Christ, you can't take the stain of sin away. You still got it all over you. Okay, you're stained with sin, and the only means for that to be taken away is the life and death of Jesus. Him living the life you couldn't live, dying a death on your behalf, raising from the dead, and now he's in the heavens. And if you're connected to him, then he stands before offering his life in your place to take away your guilt, to take away the stain of sin, to take away the wrath of God that was coming for you, to take away the guilt that that, that was on you because of your sin. Jesus came in order that he might take away sins. Now, notice the second reason, though, okay? So here's the second reason, and this is the one that John's going to camp out at, okay? So verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared, number 2, is to destroy the works of the devil. 
Now, here's my question for you. What is the works of the devil, okay? What's the works of the devil he's talking about? Well, let's just look at our passage, and I think we'll find the the, the answer real easy, okay? So in verse 8, if you you have your Bible, in verse 8 is where this occurs, okay? So about halfway through the verse, it says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So what's the works of the devil? Well, look right above that phrase, beginning of verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, okay? For the devil's been sinning from the beginning. Now look right after that phrase, beginning of verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. What's the work of the devil? The work of the devil is to make you, is to cause you, is to keep you living a habitual lifestyle of sin. Now, we need to spend a little bit of time unpacking those, those words, okay? Because some of you may have a Bible. I, I, I bet some of you have a translation of the Bible that, that says something to this effect. Um, uh, I bet it says, uh, verse 8, whoever sins uh, is of the devil, for the devil's been sinning from the beginning, okay? Uh, the ESV, the one I'm reading out of, I think does a good job in, in trying to translate the present tense of that verb. Okay, a present tense verb is a verb that has a continuous action, okay? And I think that's the sense that John is, is speaking here. He's saying whoever makes a practice, whoever lives a lifestyle of sin, okay? What I'm telling you is, the thing that is broken by Jesus coming, by, by, by the new birth in, in a person's life, is, a, is the lifestyle of sin, okay? Now, let me try to explain that a whole bunch of ways. And I think when we get to the end of it, I think you're going to be like, yep, I know exactly what you're talking about, okay? So let, let, me, let, me give you, let me give you an explanation here. Number one, there's a difference between an isolated sin, okay, in a believer's life that is confessed and repented of and fought against by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a difference between that and a lifestyle of sin. Okay? I've lived them both, and I'm telling you, there's a world of difference. Okay? So, 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 so the one, the one is, is a moment of weakness. The one is, is fought against. The one is, is, is struggled against by the power of the Spirit, is overcome by the victory of Christ. The other is a lifestyle of sin. The, the, really, the perfect illustration, I wish I had some other ones, like for anger, and, uh, but I just probably haven't thought that through enough. But let me give you an easy one for lust, okay? So here, here's an isolated sin. Uh, that I believe believers do fall into, okay? So you, let's say you got a guy, uh, he's been stressed out, he's not, he's not seeking Christ, he's not got his eyes on Jesus, and he's flipping through the channels, and a Victoria's Secret commercial comes on, and he lingers there, and he looks, and, and in his heart he lusts, and he sins against God, okay? Immediately, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, why? Because we'll talk about this in a minute, God seeds in him. Immediately, the conviction of the Holy Spirit hits that man. Immediately, he, 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 he is convicted of his sin. Uh, immediately, the word of God that's already in him begins to do its work. Immediately, there's a, there's a sense of misery. There's a sense of hatred for that sin. There, there's an immediate confession and repentance and calling his accountability partner and going to the scriptures and turning off the TV and getting right with God and experiencing the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and, and then a relentless pursuit to not fall into that again. Okay? That's one. Here's another category. A man who has a subscription to a pornographic magazine that comes in the mail every month. And maybe when he looks at it, he knows this is really wrong and he feels guilt and he feels bad about it. But he's waiting for the next month's edition when it comes. Are those both sins? Yes. Let's, let's not make the mistake of, of grading them. Okay, one's really bad and one's not, you know, and so, so God just overlooked. No, 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 no. We're not saying anything about the, the, the badness or goodness of either of those. What we're saying is 
the one Jesus has come to break in a believer's life, okay? A believer will not live this. He will not live this, okay? He will not live in a habitual, continual, unfought, unresisted sin against the Lord. God will break that. What, what John, I believe, is saying is there's a difference between the man who sins without repentance, without the work of the Spirit, without fighting against sin, There's a difference in the man who is continually coming under conviction, repentance, faith, who's progressing in holiness. There's a difference between the man who fights against sin by the power of the Spirit and the blood of Jesus and the man who's a slave to sin, okay? There's a difference between the man who loves sin but feels guilty about it and the man who hates sin because of what he knows about Jesus and believes about the gospel, okay? Does everybody sin? Believer, unbeliever, after conversion, before conversion? Yes, okay? John's already settled that. 1 John 1, 8, 1, 10. We say we have no sin. We lie. We deceive ourselves. We're all, we're all sinners, okay? But what John is saying is that the coming of Christ, Bethlehem, Christmas, okay? Jesus' work on the cross and his work in our hearts in the new birth fundamentally changes the relationship between a believer and sin, Okay? Now, what I'm trying to articulate to you from the Scriptures, I know crystal clear in my own life, okay? And here's what I believe. I believe if you're a believer here today, you're going you're gonna to know exactly what I mean, okay? Because when I look at my testimony, in fact, this is what really nailed it for me about when my conversion happened, okay? I was one of those weird cases where I did all the religious things when I was eight years old. My dad got saved when he was 28, uh, the, the movement of the Spirit of God in my dad, which was completely transforming. I mean, I watched my dad change his lifestyle, his friends. I, I remember sitting in a pickup truck while another man berated my dad and mocked him because he, he, he would not do the things he used to do. I mean, my dad was transformed by the gospel. And through all of that, I came forward. I made a decision. I, I walked out. I got baptized. I talked to the pastor. All that happened, but I was not changed. This didn't happen. There was not a fundamental break in sin in my life. And because of that, I continued in a lifestyle of sin, a habitual pattern of sin, until I was 18 years old. And then, interestingly enough, when I was 18 years old, nothing religious happened, okay? I I wasn't at church. I wasn't talking to a pastor. Nobody shared the gospel with me. I'm laying in my bed at night, and I come under great conviction about my life, and I had such a distaste for the man that I was, I hated the man that I was. I didn't want to live that life anymore. And I just cried out to Jesus and I said, I don't know what it means, but today, Jesus, I'm yours. What are you going to do? I'm, I'm never going back. I'm all yours. And I, I didn't even know I was getting saved. <laughs> you know, I just, God was moving. And, and, I, and let me tell you, after that, me and sin were different. Now, did I, do I, did I still sin after my conversion? Yep. But oh, it was a different experience. Now there was immediate conviction. Now there was misery. Now there was the word of God that made life. Now my wants were changed. I, 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 guilt was not a stranger. I remember looking at my mother's face and just seeing the disappointment in me. You know? Just seeing her broken heart over who I was. I remember feeling guilty about that. But I'm telling you, after my conversion, I don't, I don't want to stay there. And I was willing to do whatever it took for however long it took to get out of that. That's Christmas. <laughs> That's why he came. 
He came not only to forgive you of your sin, he came to break your slavery, to break the chains so that you don't live in it anymore. Listen to verse 6. No one who abides in him. Man, does he love that word or not? Okay. On John's tombstone, there ought to be written the word abide. I mean, how many times have we talked about that? I mean, he just continually, what does it mean? I don't think I got to tell you, but to live and to dwell and to stick, to stay, to remain, okay? And for it to live in us, okay? No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. What's he saying? He's saying, man, if there's a person and, and sin is not broken in their life. They live a lifestyle of sin. They're unrepentant about their sin. They don't fight against their sin. They continue, they continue to live that life of sin. What does John say here? Read it. Verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Very familiar language. We've been through it all already, right? What's John say in the opening verses? He said, we saw Jesus. We have experienced Jesus. We know Jesus. You know, we saw his glory. We want you to see his glory. Because seeing his glory changes you, right? You see the glory of Jesus and you're changed. You love him. You trust him. You want him. Okay? But John says the person who lives a habitual life of sin hasn't seen him and hasn't known him. I mean, that's the conclusion that John has to come to. Let me, let me give you an illustration. Maybe, maybe this will make sense. So when we're in India, uh, in the slum area, slum, just, just people stacked on, I mean, just ha- little houses everywhere. Little, There's a stream that runs through the big slum in Hyderabad. That dude is the ugliest water I've ever seen in my life. It is a dark, dark gray, okay? And you know that all manner of poo-poo and pee-pee and all kinds of stuff, I don't know how else to say it, uh, is in that stream, okay? And I want you to picture, I want you to imagine, this didn't happen, but just uh, make up, make believe here, okay? Imagine a man standing by that stream with a big ice chest full of ice and full of bottled water, aquafina, cold, ice cold bottled water. And he's standing there and he's saying, free water, free water, anybody who wants it, free water. And you're watching this thing and you watch a man from that neighborhood walk right by that ice chest, right by the man holding out the free bottle of water, walk down in that ditch, bend down and slurp that gray, dirty water. What would you say about that man? The only explanation I can think of in my mind is that he, has, he, does, he did not see or know what that guy was giving away, right? I mean, I, can you think of another reason? Can you think of another reason somebody would say, oh, no, I don't want that. I'll, I'll, take, the, I'll take the sewer water. No. I mean, we'd have to conclude he didn't hear him. He didn't understand what he was giving. He didn't understand it was free. He didn't understand the language. He didn't know what was in there. I mean, we'd have to say he, he didn't get it, right? John's saying, John is saying, Anybody who continues to live in sin, they haven't seen Jesus. They haven't known Jesus. Verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil's been sinning from the beginning. John, John connects us. When, when you live in sin, when you, when you live in unrepentance, he connects you to the devil. And you're saying, man, that's... That was never me. I grew up, I was birthed in the church nursery, you know, and was here every Sunday. I'm sorry, it was you. Ephesians 2, 1. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following, listen, the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, 
the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The Bible says without the coming of Jesus, without the work of Jesus, we are connected. We have a sin nature that we are shackled to and we cannot get out of. But that all changes when we are born of the resurrected Jesus. Notice, notice verse 9. Verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? For God's seed abides in him. I mean, I mean... You, you get that, don't you, adults? You, you understand the, the biological reference there? That God has put His very nature in us, okay? When you're born again, that's what happens. God puts His nature in you. God puts His Word in you. I, I, I love 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God, God puts His Spirit in you, His nature in you, His Word in you, His Spirit. God puts Himself inside of you, and the result of that, get ready to be blown away. Verse 9, are you ready? No one, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in Him. He cannot keep on sinning. Did everybody hear that? He cannot. Underline that word in your Bible. He cannot. Keep on sinning. What does that mean? Does that mean that a believer never sins? No, we already went through that. First John 1, 8, 10. What does it mean? It means he can't stay in sin. He can't live a habitual lifestyle of sin. He can't live unrepentant in sin. He can't live without fighting against sin. Will he be perfect? No. Will he be progressing? Has to. Has to. That's what it means to be born of God. That's what it means for the Spirit of God to be in you is that you can't stay in the darkness. That was, that was chapter 1. You can't stay in the darkness. You can't stay out of fellowship with God. God's going to bring you back. My friends, here's the reality about me. I love to go snorkeling, and I love to dive down and look at the fish and look at the reef, but here's the reality. I cannot stay underwater, Okay? I can't stay there. I can get to about 12 feet, about 8 feet. i got to hold my nose, blow my ears, so I, I, I pop them. And I keep going about 12 feet or so. And about 12 feet, I had the panic button goes off. Air, 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 air. <sighs> okay? And I can't hold my breath very long. I've watched on TV some of those diver guys that can go 10 minutes, 8 minutes. I mean, it's phenomenal. I can't believe it. I can't hold my breath more than a minute, okay? But there's people that can hold it. But here's the deal about those guys. After 10 minutes, guess what? They can't stay down there. They can't stay underwater. They're going to come back up. In the same way, believers, if the sea, if God's nature, if God's spirit, if God's word, if Jesus' life is living in you, you can't stay in sin. What's going to happen? The spirit of God is going to convict you. The, the discipline of God is going to come on your life. God will spank you. Hebrews 12, read it. He will put hard things in your life. He will discipline you. He will send people to confront you. He, he's not going to let you stay there. Why? Because he's a good dad. How many of you, you're at the pool this summer, and you see your kid at the bottom of the, uh, the pool, the drain, how many of you are going to say, well, he must want to be down there, you know? <laughs> That's idiotic. You're going to grab that big stick, and even if it cuts him, you're going to jerk him and drag him out of there because you love him. God's not going to let you stay in sin. His seed abides in you. 
if you're his. What's going to happen? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's going to happen? Spirit of God, Word of God, life of Jesus inside of you. Sooner or later, you're going to break. God, I don't want to live away from you. God, I don't want to live here in this sin. I don't want it, God. Your word has convinced me. I agree with you. I don't want to sin. God, I confess my sin. I repent of it. I turn away from it. You can experience the forgiveness of Jesus by his blood. He takes away that sin. You are free. You are free to live in obedience. Friends, that is the blessing of Christmas. Now, I told you I was, John spends most of his time emphasizing Christ coming, breaking the power of sin rather than forgiveness. Why? Is, is one more important than the other? No. There's a particular reason. John is battling false teaching. Okay, verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is right. These folks in the church got people telling them stuff that's not true. What are they telling them? Well, we, we know because John tells us the truth in the rest of verse 7. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is right. Okay, that's the truth, okay? So, so in other words, if you're born again, if God seeds in you, then, then you're, that's going to come out of you. It's going to come out practically in your life. And so what, what, were, what were people saying that was false in this church? Well, they were saying the same thing that they're saying in 2014 in Woodward, Oklahoma. And what that is is the heresy that I can say I'm a Christian. I can say it's in my heart. It's in my head. And there be no practical evidence of my faith. That is just not true. Okay? It's just not true. But people are saying it all over. I mean, man, it, it's rampant in America. It's rampant in, in, everywhere where, where people are saying they can be habitually angry and wear anger like a coat. People who, and this is so common, people who say, I can live in unrepentant sexual immorality and still be right with Jesus, still be okay, everything's fine. People who say, I can habitually be a liar and it's all good, it's all fine, me and Jesus, we're good. People who say, I can live without compassion, without mercy, without love for brother, without love for neighbor. I can live in bitterness, I can live in unforgiveness and I'm fine, me and Jesus, we're fine. You're not fine. Because Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, that you would not be shackled to sin. Verse 5, in him there is no sin, and if you're connected to Jesus, he's going to be working that sin out of you. He's going to be working in you. He's going to be working through the Word. He's going to be working through the Spirit. He's going to be working through other people. He's going to be working through worship. He's going to be working through songs. He's going to be working in you, and you can't stay there. Ah, I'm telling you, what a joy it is. And I've experienced this with men at Lincoln for a long time. It's been one of my favorite things about being a pastor is I'll have a guy and he's out of whack with God and he's madder and all get out or he's discouraged or despairing and he's in sin. And man, it's such a blessing to speak God's truth to that guy. And what normally happens is nothing, nothing. I speak God's truth, nothing happens initially, most of the time, you know. And I'll walk away and I'll pray for my brother. And guess what always happens every time, huh? Uh, next time I see him, ah, oh, pastor, I settled that. I got that all worked out. I've already went to him and made it right. You know, I got home and God crawled all over me. I couldn't even go to sleep. I had to get up in the middle of the night and go take care of it, you know? And I'm just like, How, isn't that awesome, you know? 
I mean, I, I love it in me, you know, that I, I just can't stay there. God won't let me stay there. Thank you. Huh? I love it. Christmas is good. Christmas is good because God became man. And God showed us who he was. And then, then he died a sacrificial death for our sins that they might be able to be taken away. And he rose again and he stands interceding for us now. And he breaks the power of sin in our lives and he changes us forever. What a gift. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for, for coming. Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for displaying to us who you are, for showing us your glory, showing us your majesty, showing us your, your love, showing us the cross. God, thank you for your spirit that, that lives in us, your seed, your nature, your life. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. That, thank you for making us miserable. Lord, what a, what a weird prayer that sounds, but God, thank you. Thank you for not letting us stay in sin. Father, I just pray that you would, you would work that in each of us this morning. I, I pray that if there's some here today, they, they haven't seen you or known you. They keep walking by the, the water of life and, and drinking out of the ditch. God, I pray that you would transform their hearts today, that they would want you. God, break the power of sin. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.